This is episode 67 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Welcome to episode 67 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, I have Jared Henderson on the show, and we had an excellent conversation about investing from a long distance away. So Jared currently lives in Montreal, Canada, but he's investing in places like Peterborough, Ontario, St. Catharines, Ontario, and Aurelia. And he talks about how he's able to manufacture the systems that work for him to allow him to continue to grow his portfolio, to continue to benefit from the cash flow in these different remote areas relative to where he lives. And I think this is such an important discussion because it's one that I myself have struggled with. And that's how do you manage from a distance away? How do you set up those systems? And what do you do if things don't go as planned? Um, That's been my biggest fear in my business is when I have something go wrong, I need to step in and find a new person to take over uh, or adjust that system. So Jared has quite a few tips and tricks around this. And it was really interesting to speak with him about it. We also spent significant time talking about controlling your business. And let's face it, we're real estate investors. This is our business and we do need to take control. So there's lots of great discussion around that. I really enjoyed this interview and I think you will too. Just a quick note before we get started, if you haven't already, please like, subscribe uh, and review this podcast on Apple Podcast or iTunes. If you're on YouTube, make sure you hit that like and subscribe button and leave me a comment. Let me know what you think. Really appreciate it. And it helps this podcast continue to grow. And of course, if you're new, don't hesitate to go right back to the beginning of this podcast to dive into the nuts and bolts in the first 10 to 15 episodes. And then of course, I'm sure there's many other interviews that you'll enjoy all the way throughout the first 66 episodes. So without further ado, please enjoy episode 67 with Jared Henderson. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have Jared Henderson on the show. Jared, how you doing? Great, Andrew. Great yourself? Very good, thanks. And uh, yeah, thanks for taking the time to do this. I know uh, I've seen your name around a lot. We bumped into each other at the right club one night and uh I actually don't know your story, so this will be the first time I'm hearing it. Uh, so why don't you just uh, give me your backstory, how you got started in real estate and where you're at now. Nice. Yeah. So I started back in 2012, bought a couple of condos in Niagara Falls. And the reason why I bought them was because they already had tenants in them. And uh, I was fearful of buying a place and not being able to find any renters. Uh, of course, we learn over time, it's nice to buy a place that's that's vacant so you can uh, accept and qualify your own tenants. But uh, that basically got me started. And uh, there was a bit of a lull in between then and really accelerating things. I sort of just sort of sat on the sidelines. I waited for the property management company to collect rent and that, that went fine for a few years. And then some real appreciated started kicking in in 2015. And then I started learning more about other markets like Hamilton, St. Catharines, and uh, I took it to the next level and started refinancing those properties to, to buy more and, and grow from there. So it started in 2012 with those two condos. And since then, I've been refinancing, buying more, and recently taking on joint venture partners. Okay, I was about to about to ask. So, a couple of context questions. So, where uh, you know snapshot of your fo- your portfolio now? Uh, what's it look like? Yeah, I'm a bit spread out. I've got uh, now four properties in Peterborough or uh, student student rentals. Okay, I've got a triplex in Aurelia and two duplexes in St. Catharines. Okay, so triplex in yeah. Aurelia. Wow. Yeah, you are spread out. <laughs> Yeah, the triplex in Aurelia wasn't planned. I got it as a as a private deal through my property manager, yeah. and it just runs very smoothly. So I got a you know a, a discounted price on a property that was already managed by a property manager that I trust. So it was just a good deal, and so it yeah. wasn't like it wasn't a plan to 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 grow and and scale out in Aurelia. It was just like okay, you, this is um, just a good fit for right. uh, a property manager that I already. Uh, no like and trust and away we go yeah but now my goal is moving forward or to to concentrate in peterborough uh yeah okay yeah so is that your home base are you are do you live in peterborough no i live in montreal you live in montreal (laughs) (laughs) so way up actually i think i might have heard you uh were you on uh breakthrough real estate investing podcast at one point a a while back so there we go rob rob break is my my main guy uh my main agent in um Peterborough and work closely with him to find the next deal. And yeah, that's right. I, I know it sounds random, but I, I met Rob 
few years back on an Oshawa property tour in about 2017. And mm-hmm. it just didn't make sense to me because property prices at that time had gone up 20% year over year. And I'm like, with my luck, I'm going to buy something there and it's going to go down or it's going to stay the same. And these were the days when uh, properties were going like $50,000, $75,000 over asking. Then you needed to put a $75,000 second suite in to make it cash flow $200. So I'm like, nope, not much cash flow there for me. And uh, he gave me a shout a few months later and said, Peterborough is, is the next big thing. And we took a look and haven't looked back. Yeah, Peterborough seems to be a, a very solid student market, and then it's got other stuff going on there too. And uh, sounds like the cash flow is sort of similar to what I was able to get in, in London for a long time, which is now sort of changed, obviously, with the market going up. But um, mm-hmm. why don't you tell me a little bit about this whole distance managing thing? Because uh, I think a lot of people are afraid of that. I know I've had experiences that, that go a little bit rough uh, with that. But I do manage at a distance too, just not not the distance you're talking about. So how how are you handling that? I know you have property management, but but give me the scoop. Yeah. So I always wanted to invest and and, and grow my wealth with real estate, uh, but I I never really wanted to be the guy to to manage the properties myself because I, I guess I had the end in sight is if. Uh, I can't manage ten places. I can't manage twenty places. So. Um, I, I at least began with uh, an investor mind, an investment-minded um, realtor, and then use that to branch off into a team. You know, who's the best lender? Who's the best contractor? Who's the best property manager? And you know, events like the right event and, and others that really help the networking and, and connect you to uh, reliable people. That that's what it's all about. Um, mm-hmm. You know, anyone who runs a business knows that you can't do it all, all by yourself. And the, the funny part about that is that I think a lot of us get into this because we're like, well, we, you know, we might not want to work that nine to five job and we like the um, the control that real estate has. Well, I can do it all myself, but you learn with a bit of experience in order to, to scale out, you need to, to form those relationships and create a strong team around you to make your life easier, right? And so uh, I decided to go straight to outsourcing the property management and be a good manager of property managers. I've got a few and uh, I continue to, to network to understand the best practices. So I'm aware of uh, how to react responsibly when issues come up and away mm-hmm. we go. Yeah. And I, I agree with you completely about building the team. I, uh, I had hired a property manager for a while cause I was just doing all the planning for renovations, acquiring the properties, you know, working on the financing. So I, I just handed the management off to a person and, uh, eventually we just butted heads though. And then I, you know, he basically put me on notice you're on your own. And, uh, I had to, I had to take care of my own properties, which uh, in the student side of things, I had, I had yet to really do that. And, uh, it, it actually left me feeling really vulnerable so I sort of figured I needed to take a step back and I needed to be more aware of all the parts and pieces that go into it so that if that ever happened to me again, I wouldn't feel so exposed. Like, do you have any fears about that? Has it happened to you where you butted heads with somebody being at such a distance? How would you handle that if, if you haven't already encountered it? Uh, I've had some, I wouldn't say confrontations, but some conversations on, let's say some bills that uh, I, I question. Um, mm-hmm. I, I do my due diligence on property managers the way one should probably do due diligence on their tenants. So um, it it starts with networking referrals. And then I I don't have a a systemized way of of questioning. Uh, I really do have a a bit of a knack for a feel of of different people and, and how they strike me and understanding if I really think I can work with them or not. And, um, you know, it takes time. I didn't get it right at the very beginning. I, I've had to go through a couple of property managers in different markets, but once you're set with one and you have a rapport and you develop that trust, it's really so much easier to make it work with that relationship. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I speak with other investors and I said, look, I don't mind overpaying my property managers because at the end of the day, they're, they're, they're taking care of my assets. And I am happy to um, 
overpay or treat them better than the average if uh, if that means that I, I receive that service in return. So I, I, I don't share. I, I think a lot of investors start uh, raising their eyebrows when they see, well, you're paying 10%. Well, I pay 6% or 7%. That doesn't really make that much difference when you've got a problem and you want it solved quickly and, and someone um, really has their heart in the right place and you've treated them well and they're, they're going to respond as fast as you want. What does that mean to you? What is that worth to you? So you really have to ask yourself, what, what is it worth before you, you decide, um, you know, it, it, it's true expense, the true cost. What's the true cost of them not responding well? What's the true cost yeah. of having a bad property manager? That is horrible. Oh, the true cost of a bad property manager is way more than paying an expensive one. Way more. Yeah. And I've been down that, you know, it's, that's true across the board. That's true in construction too. You you pay the cheapest guy, you're going to be paying so much more to get him to fix all his mistakes. Um, It's not always true that if you pay more, you get a better quality. Not always true, but generally speaking, it tends to be, Um, you know, usually people who respect themselves a bit more price higher. And, uh, and, and, you know, value their own work better price a little higher. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely resonate with what you're saying there. So you're saying you pay about 10%. Is that a, is that sort of a standard? Oh, at least with my student rentals, because I've got turnover. And then when you're talking about, uh, uh maintenance issues that are likely marked up, I mean, all, all in all, it would be 10%, 10 to 12%, but you're saying including I, maintenance. Correct. So maintenance and management together, which, which, you know, if it's 12%, that's say 7% on the management side, 5% on the maintenance side. That's still really good. And that includes yeah. leasing. Uh, yeah. See, that's not that expensive. I know yeah. some people are, are, I've heard people charging 8% plus leasing fees. I've heard of, like I used to pay a flat rate. It was about $120 a house for student rentals and then okay. plus, plus leasing fees. So leasing fees were uh, three quarters of the last month's rent something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I guess at some point it kind of, it, it, what happened was the one year I, I just realized that my property manager wasn't renting my stuff out because I had really nice stuff. So for my specific vision of what I was trying to do and offer to students, I knew he wasn't going to get me the property management uh, or the, the rent rate. And I had an argument with him and he's like, no, we can't do that. We're already at the top of the market. He's like 750 max. I'm like, but I know I can get more than that. So I rented it for 860, but he was only going to rent it for eight, 750 right. a bedroom times six. So that ended up being an extra $660 a month in cash flow for me. So it was a big deal. Uh, and that was really the breaking point in that relationship, which I just decided, hey, take a step back and I'm going to learn the skill. I'm going to learn what I need to know. And then I'm going to delegate those pieces out. Uh, you know, so I'm not going to do it all myself because that's insane. <laughs> you can't do that if right. you're trying to run a business. But uh, just, to, just to kind of have my finger a little closer to the pulse is what I was trying to do. Um, yeah. It sounds like you're, maybe you're in a position where you don't, you don't feel that, that you're getting any sort of lack of service or you think it works really well for you. Um, so why don't you tell me a bit more about exactly the type of students you're appealing to, what, what kind of price range you're in and, and how that all works. Yeah, so most of my students go to Fleming College. It is in the east end of Peterborough. Sorry, the west end. East end is okay. is, is Trent. And um, there is decent turnover because it's a it's kind of like a trade school. You have um, you know one, two, three year programs. Uh, typical students would be between. 20 and 23, uh, some a bit older, depending if they're in a specialized program. Uh, and the rents that I'm collecting are between five and seven fifty. Um, quite that range. Yeah. uh, Between 500 and $750 a month. I, a new thing that, uh, uh, I've adopted is, you know, bring in either a couple or two people who want to share room for seven fifty. And when you have a decent sized room, apparently there's, a high demand for that. So it's easier, right? Instead of always thinking, which was my mindset before of you, we want to get as many rooms as possible. Uh, big rooms are, are highly valued because you can get a much bigger price tag in, in Peterborough. There's still a bit of a rental uh, crisis, a bit of a um, um, housing shortage as there is in most of Southern Ontario, but um, you've got about 15,000, 16,000 students in Peter between Trent and Fleming. So um, it's always an, an active market. 
Very interesting. So what's, what's somebody, you know, why would they pay a difference between 500 and 750? Like what is 500 and what is 750? What are the key differences in those products? Well, I was saying for, for 750, it's uh, these are two people sharing one room. Okay. So that's a two people in a room. But uh, on another note, like the difference between 500 and 600 would be uh, lighting. If you're on the main floor versus the basement, uh, and just the, the finer touches of the room, the, the size of the room as well. So you have a range of sizes and uh, um, mm-hmm. it, it starts at 500 and it goes all the way up to, for one person, 700 in really nice spots. The only reason I said 750 is uh, I have, I think right now, three rooms that are all being shared by either couples or good friends. So, so you'll have a house with how many, like, so it's a three bedroom house with six people living in it or is it? Uh, no, I've got a six bedroom house with like eight people living in it. Nice. Yeah. So let's, let's use that one as an example. Sure. Let's pick one of your student rental locations. What's the rent on, on uh, per bedroom basis or is each bedroom unique? So in each house there, their size of the rooms does fluctuate, but I mean, if we can call it an average of five fifty per room, would that okay. make it easier? Sure. So five fifty yeah. per room on a six bed. Yeah. Okay. So that's one of your locations. So about thirty three hundred bucks a month is your gross rent. Correct. Okay. And then what would your taxes be on that property? About three thousand dollars a year. Three thousand dollars a year, and then you got insurance. What are you paying on insurance for a student rental like $1, that? Eleven hundred. Eleven hundred. That's a good price. It is a good price. Yeah. I got. Uh, uh, my friend at my core insurance, anyone can reach out if they want a great deal. Okay. <laughs> I, uh, I have, I believe five policies with him and it's, it's a great, uh, it's a great plan. Nice. Okay. So I just crunched some numbers here Yeah. and, um, so 5% for maintenance, uh, management at 7%. So the two of them together work out to 12 based on what you had said. Um, so yeah. that would be a management number for the year of 2772. Does that sound about right? Correct. And then do you pay utilities on that house? I do. They're, they're, they're all included as well as I give them uh, the student's internet as well. Okay. So, so all, all those things together yeah. on a year, what are you paying? Um, so how, how we're, we're going to break it down. Y- utilities, I would say it's around $300 a month. Okay. In, in, yeah. Internet, so, call it about 75. So you'd add 375. Okay. okay so about 4,500 a year. Yeah. I got the, I have my cash flow sheet up getting all advanced here. Um, okay. Any other expenses that you're paying? Like, are you paying snow removal, landscaping? Anything my like property that? manager uh, includes that in his service. So we can keep that there. Oh, you're, yeah. see, you're not paying a lot in management. You're getting a great deal. That's, yeah. that's nice. So, so the, 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 on the basis that it includes a heck of a lot, you're actually doing yeah. quite well. Um, okay. So what, what did you end up buying that property for? 315,000. 315. Recently? Three years ago. Three years ago. Have you refinanced it since? I'm very close to doing it. I haven't done it since, you know, we got, okay. we got hit with the COVID and uh, I'll likely do it at the end of the summer. Okay. So, so I just crunched some numbers. Um, around three years ago, you probably would have been around a, what, a 3% mortgage rate on a 30 year. Yeah. It was three and a half, like three and a half at three and a half percent on a 30 year at an 80% loan to value. So you would have, you would have had $252,000 mortgage. Does that sound about right? It's, it's bang on. Yeah. Okay. So then your net cash flow would be $954 a month. That sound good. It, it sounds good. Like I said, some some maintenance issues can hit you along the way, yeah. but I, I would say cash flow between five and seven hundred dollars a month. Five and seven hundred. I, really, I like being conservative. Sure. Um, oh, I'm the same. Yeah, I don't want to go for a rant, but I'm sure you're aware of other people who talk about I don't know two hundred dollars cash flow. To me, that's not even cash flow because you're likely not considering maintenance, vacant maintenance, yeah. vacancy, or your own property management. Like yeah. you got to charge for your own time as well. And that's part of the reason why I chose to outsource it. So look, I'm okay with that. But the point is when you're talking about a hundred dollars or it's still cash flows, $200, mm-hmm. you're not giving yourself enough of a, of a spread for yeah. reality. That's the pro forma version of reality. Right. You say I've got, oh, I, I, it cash flows $150 a month. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Talk to me in a year or two and, and see if you needed the roof replaced 
if you had any leaks, uh, outside maintenance issues, if you had any vacancy issues. Um, yeah, if your sewer backed up. <laughs> yeah, and I've been lucky yeah. in that sense. I, I haven't had some, some major issues that I hear other investors mm-hmm. going through, and, but it's going to happen and, and I'm ready for it, so... Yeah. Yeah. This is a conversation I've had a fair bit lately. And that's that the, uh, the numbers can most definitely lie. People say the numbers don't lie. No, they most definitely can, because a lot of people don't, don't really consider a lot of things when they're calculating their numbers. Like you said, um, you know, and I, I, I've said that exact statement, you know, one or 200 bucks, you have no cash flow because all it takes is one little thing to go wrong. You need a new furnace. There's, there's two, 200, there's two years, three years of cash flow gone. So, yeah. uh, you know, a good, you want to be walking on, egg, you want to be walking on eggshells yeah. for a hundred dollars a month. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm always, of course I'll make an exception. Like yeah. when, when the market was hot in London, I, I took a couple of deals where I was able to finance the down payment with private money and, you know, still make 200 bucks or a hundred bucks. So it was kind of negative. I admit it was negative. It, it looked positive, but it was in, in reality negative. Uh, but that was okay because after a couple of years, I refied and now I have cash flow on those. So, um, it is, it is one strategy, but this is why I'm, I'm such, uh, an advocate for cash flow. And what do you see? What do you see as being the next step then? Because this one, you said between five and 700 are most of your properties there. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm still getting that same amount per room. Prices have gone up about a hundred thousand mm-hmm. uh, dollars for that same type place. Um, so I am sort of looking for the the range between three hundred and three hundred fifty thousand is is a nice sweet spot. It needs a bit of work. Might not be in quite a, uh, as good as, of an area as I bought three years ago, mm-hmm. um, but. I'm still able to maintain those same type levels of cash flow. It just needs to involve a bit more creativity. And um, I'm looking for the tired places, the the ones that uh, need, you know, we need a a lot of paint, a lot of flooring and a lot of lipstick upgrades. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what I call the investor home where you walk in, you're like, yeah, single family is not going to want to buy this unless they're, they're very handy and want a, a big project ahead of them. I'm, I'm sure you probably look at some, some of those opportunities the same way. Uh, yeah. But cash flow is still achievable in markets like, like Peterborough and, and I'm sure um, in, in London as well. You just have, yep. to, you have to perhaps work a bit harder to get it. You do. You have to, you have to look harder. You have to know where to look. You have to know, you have to delicately balance being far enough away from the university to be able to get the price cheap enough, but not too far that you can't get the rent that you wanted, or you can't entice students to want to be there at all. Uh, So there's, there's a delicate balancing act there. Uh, Okay. So did you have to do any work to that one we were just talking about there? Very minimal, about uh, about $10,000. So most of the work was just drywall and a few touch-ups. Okay, drywall and a few touch-ups. Yeah. Okay, so I've the got... The typical place I buy has... I mean, the ideal, it can just give you the... The, sure. the, the yeah, template is a, is a raised bungalow. You know, I like them because they've got a lot of light in the basement. The more windows, the better. If there's a lot of windows, I don't have to put in an egress window. Right. Window. Uh, most of these bungalows have a 10 by 20 foot spot in the basement, you know, a large, what they call rec room. Okay. Well, that rec room's turning into two bedrooms right away. And the living room by the kitchen is turning into another bedroom, turning a three bedroom into a six pretty quickly. Really? Okay. So you'll steal common area space uh, for bedrooms? It... Within reason. Within I don't reason? Do it if, it, if, it, if there's a great compromise to the overall living space, but some mm-hmm. of these, some of the layouts are more conducive than others to a, uh, a student rental conversion. Let's just put it that way. You, you know, you, it's fun. It's like a puzzle. You walk into the place. I'm sure you've done it before when you're like, mm-hmm. I can do this here. I can do that there. Yeah. Yeah. This, this kind of works where you can walk into another property and it could be just as big, but you're going to have to move too many things around. It doesn't have a, an egress window in the a basement and mm-hmm. you start or a side entrance, you know, all these things that you can save up front because they're already there are of huge benefit when you actually acquire it. It's, it, it's a, this, this isn't financed money. It's hard money when you start putting in the expenses once you acquire it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to work through these numbers. Well, I'm going to come back and ask you a little bit more about 
about the, what your students are asking for from you, but just, just before yeah. we move on from the numbers. So uh, based on the mortgage you gave me, I just have, I have my little spreadsheet that calculates it all here. So it'll save me from having to calculate it. You got about a $5,000 annual pay down on your mortgage. Yeah. Uh, would you say 4% is a, a fair appreciation rate up where you are? More than fair. More than fair. Uh, okay. So 12,600 in a year based on that. And then we've got the cash flow coming in. Um, well, I'm just going to increase your your uh, maintenance number since you said that it and you know you felt like it was a little bit high there. At sure, the cash let's flow. go conservative. <laughs> yeah. So so based on all that, we've got a total return of twenty eight thousand one hundred and seventy eight uh, dollars on something your total investment between. Uh, I even have legals and land transfer. I've got. Uh, renovations. So I've got legal land transfer about 5k, 10,000 for renovations, down payment 63,000. So 77,900. Uh, your return on investments, 36.17%. Not bad. Not bad for a kid from Montreal. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what are you saying? People from Montreal don't earn good returns? <laughs> no, it's just far away. It's uh, yeah. a lot of people are, are weirded out or, or, yeah. or I get a lot of questions, but the truth is my story is such that I started out in Ontario. I saw the growth and appreciation there. Mm -hmm. uh, in Montreal, we have some strong, we've had some strong appreciation the last couple of years. Uh, but before that, I just didn't see anything close to what I saw in Southern Ontario. So that's what sort of kept my eye on yeah. the ball there and focused on building my network in an area that made sense to me. And once, once you build it up, it's like, it kind of becomes easier each year. Oh yeah. Right? Even though you're you know, far I, away. I've got the people in place. I call yeah. them up and, and, and people, you know, they, they support you and they, and they have your best interests at heart. They, they know that as you're building and scaling in a location, they want your business. They, they want you to stay happy. And so I get better service over the years, especially as I grow with my property manager, my contractors. Um, so I, I did have, I did suffer the case of, shiny object syndrome, as you saw, when I, I'm a bit spread out. Mm -hmm. I think that's only natural in the beginning where, hey, there's a deal here, a deal there. Uh, there's deals everywhere. Um, but if you focus on a certain location, uh, your, uh, your scalability is compounded because you already have the contacts there. You don't need mm -hmm. to meet another contract or another property manager in Brantford. I don't have to do that. I've already got it in place. Well, yeah, you're already set up in three locations. That's pretty amazing. And I will absolutely agree with you there that, that building the team is such a pain in the butt. Why change markets? The only reason I would say maybe consider changing markets is if you're trying to hedge yourself and diversify your investment base in case something happened to the one market. Um, so a couple of things I wanted to ask you. One, what do you, what do you hear the students saying to you? What are they asking for? What do they like? What don't they like? Do, do they complain about certain things or do they ask for certain things from you? They, uh, uh, from what I've heard from my property manager, I don't have any direct contact with any sure. of my students, uh, but they become more needy over the years in, in that, uh, we have a lot of, co the competition is starting to come in. I'm not the only one doing this, obviously. And, right. uh, when you're, when you're promoting yourself and what you're doing, other people, want to want a part of it and uh that's great too uh so the add-ons like internet um let's say bi-weekly cleaning service that takes care of the common areas uh you do furnishings. that yeah yeah so depending it, on the home depending including on the home this one rents not in this one uh, then. one of them i only do that on, on one property and okay. uh, you know it, it's fun testing these things out you you up the rent by 25 bucks all of a sudden that's uh you know an extra 150 bucks a month uh plus and you start adding services and you you see what's valued but it's mm -hmm. basically small perks you know between um parking um internet is almost expected now and um small furnishings and, and uh, the occasional cleaning. That's pretty much it. So you mean common area furnishings like common the couch? Area. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Put in a, a decent TV, coffee table, couches, mm -hmm. and just expect that uh, they're going to be in reasonable shape when they're, when they're done so that in turnover, all you need is a fair cleaning and away you go. Okay. So, Next question is about your, your property manager, because now that I've seen all the things that are included, you're getting such a great deal. How did you find that property manager? You said it was through connections. Through and Rob Break. So Rob's got, got the contact there. And are there a yep. bunch of other people that all use the same person in uh, Rob's network? No, it's no, it's definitely spread 
out. Um, I've spoken with a couple others that I, I, I might entertain, but um, like I said, it's it's much easier to to work with the one that uh, you, you've committed to and you're growing with. And once they see that, they they treat you well. So when you're talking about or basically suggesting that I'm worried about being taken advantage of, it's just no. Because yeah. uh, they, they know that I'll, I'd switch pretty quickly if that mm-hmm. were the case. And uh, I try to come from the angle, but try to put yourself in their perspective. I mean, property managers for uh, student rentals, they're working hard. Oh, yeah. Right? They're, they're going through viewings. They're, they're dealing with people who probably don't even show up to the meeting, to, to, to the viewing. Uh, there's a lot of turnover. Um, they're dealing with complaints. And for what? They're not getting rich. They're being paid a fair amount, so I I believe that uh, you you should pay more for someone who's who's working harder. I agree. As long as you can make your numbers work, I agree. Yes. Yeah. Pay pay them pay them a fair wage. Pay them what what they need to do to do the job right, and don't don't try and nickel and dime people down because they just won't like you and won't want to work for you, and that's not worth it, right? How do you build a business yeah. if you can't if you can't get people to work for you? Uh, yeah. So so yeah, I'm definitely on the same page with you there, and and I guess because of your connection, because you're you're tight with Rob, and of course there's other people in the community you're probably tight with as well. Um, if something did happen or for some reason your property manager was no longer able to help you, uh, you, you do have some other contacts that you could reach out to. Definitely. Yeah. That's the key thing, right? Just, just hedging your bets, just having, having a backup plan, a plan B or plan C, uh, to go with that plan A. Okay. Economics wise, tell me about what you like about Peterborough outside of the schools. (laughs) Is it just the schools or is there more to it? Or is that all it need, all you needed? Well, a few years ago, there, there, I knew that the the 407 was going to connect to the 115 and that was going to bring a lot of commuters from Toronto. Um, You know, you can sell your million dollar home uh, town home in Markham for uh, a healthy profit and, and buy a a nice big place in Peterborough with a big front yard, big backyard with a pool for 500 grand and bank the the half million. uh, If, if you own your other place in cash. So I, I see a lot of people flocking to Peterborough, I did like the fact that it has two schools so I can start out with student rental and then change the game plan as I, as I go along. So let's say the student rental market gets saturated. Everyone and their brother has a student rental. Well, you know, um, second suites are doing really well now. I met a guy, Jordan, who's got, uh, he's getting $1,600 for his basement uh, in, in Peterborough. Now you ask anyone there, if that, you know, five years ago, if that would have ever happened in Peterborough, they, they, they'd look at you funny. So there's obviously uh, significant growth. I think was it um, 2019 is the fastest growing town in Canada. Uh, is this 3 point something percent? I forget the exact, but okay. I mean, all good signs. But I originally started investing there because Rob Brake told me that the, the 407 was hitting the 115. That was yeah. enough of it for me because you learn that... Um, you know, those changes in, in transportation and infrastructure, uh, how the impact markets are, are, are significant and it would result in significant appreciation. Yeah. And I, I remember reading Don Campbell's original book and that was one of the things he said, uh, yeah. but he always said, wait until there's a shovel in the ground. Don't do it on the announcement because they can cancel that. Make well, sure they right. actually he, start. Yeah. Gretzky says, Go, go where the puck is moving, right? So. Go where the puck is moving. Yeah, make, sh- make sure it's already happened. So, so that's already connected, right? It's, yeah. it's completed at this point. Yeah, that's a huge game changer. Because So what would it take to get from you know, the, uh, the east end of Toronto uh, to Peterborough? How long is that it's, typically? It's a lot less. Well, I put it this way. I did it to Oshawa. I think Oshawa is like half an hour now, whereas 45 yeah. minutes before. It, it's shaved off 15 minutes. And 15 mm-hmm. minutes is a long time. Yeah, if you're doing it twice a day, every day. You want to drive along the 401 and see the difference in prices, 15 minutes slash 30 kilometers away from one town to the next? That's it does make a difference. difference. You're right. Actually, I never really thought about it that way. That's that's actually very true. Um, Okay, so have you thought about doing a second suite on your student rentals? Does zoning allow that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, just to uh, mitigate risk, to diversify a little bit, um, the only thing that's stopping me is actually comparables. I mm-hmm. thought last year we would see many more people uh, doing the second suite and refinancing for a high amount and getting out. But it seems as though there's a lack of comparables in Peterborough. And so it's kind of like 
everyone's waiting for someone else to go first and then they'll go after once there's a, a solid comparable. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean by that? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. I just yeah. want to make sure you, you know, you know, so the audience understands. Well, that. no, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll dig into this. So, so yeah, as yeah. far as co- comparables, uh, real, real estate appraisers can only, only use, uh, they can go back as far as six months. Um, but they have to actually specify, Hey, couldn't find enough, enough comparables in the three month range. So now I'm, I'm looking at six months and I'm, I'm, you know, I couldn't find enough within one kilometer. So now I'm looking within three. Um, so, so there's a lot of things they can do, but if they just have absolutely nothing, they have nothing to base it on, then how do they give you the number, even if they think it's worth that? That's where you really need an appraiser that can think abstractly and they, they can relate something that's not directly comparable and explain why this should be considered a comparable. So um, this is where I've really noticed that not all appraisers are equal uh, because some would just look at, well, I'm going to look at single family house here, here, and here. Okay, there are no comparables. So you're getting the price of a regular house, um, which won't help you versus somebody else to say, well, what's the income? Wow. Well, I had three other properties uh-huh. that could make that income and they were worth this. So reasonably, you've got to be in that range. So I, I, I wish that'd be great. Income qualification. I wish that were the case, Andrew. I that'd found be, a guy in London that... I found a guy in London that would do that. Um, and, and he, he made me a wealthy person. <laughs> I built a Good. lot of wealth, uh, dealing with that guy. Um, and, and this is, I've talked about this before, being able to, to pick your appraiser and, and the, the, the logic of it is, is appraisers uh, are brokered through the bank system. So they basically yes. use a platform and they put out a random request and you're not supposed to talk to the appraiser directly. But if you know one of the appraisers and you know that he or she is smart, you can actually call that appraiser directly right after your, your broker hits submit and say, Hey, can you please pick this up? We, you know, we'd like you to do the appraisal on this property. And they say, Oh, okay. Yeah. Check it out. And they pick it up. Uh, so I, that's how I've been able to get uh, a very. So you have your appraisers by the computer, just waiting to click refresh on the new. <laughs> See, I didn't do awesome. the call. I didn't do the call, but the guy that I was working with at a CIBC would do that every time, and he would get the same guy. Uh, well, one of two people that both really understood and had comparables. Uh, and and one of the other reasons this was so important is there was a bunch of sales that had happened, but they were all off market. So. Uh, if if the appraiser had not done the other appraisals of the off-market yeah. properties, he couldn't use those as comps because they're not on-market transactions. You know so. what I love about that though, Andrew, is you're yeah. protecting your investment. You're yeah. protecting your investment from a conservative appraisal that's probably... We already know appraisals are below market, right? Usually, I mean, yeah. Most I mean, of the time. Yeah. Most. most. So, yeah, I mean, you're going to find the odd outlier in anything, but uh, here's the thing. And, and I like what you said there too. Like you're protecting your investment, but you're not being passive as an investor. Too many people are too passive in their business. This is your business. Whether you have a full-time job and this is on the side, it's your yeah. business. And if it's going to be your business, treat it like it's your business. And I learned this in the mortgage broker world coming from that, that world is you don't leave anything up to t- chance. If there's five different parties involved in your transaction, you are on the phone. You are dealing with each person that's involved in that transaction, making sure that they don't have any room to get confused about anything, you know? Yep. And, and I think if you go and you meet your appraiser on site with comparables in hand, say, hey, you know, Bill, I'd noticed that uh, that house just on, on the corner there sold for 650 uh, just last week. It did. I didn't see it on my system. Oh yeah, it was a private transaction. Here, I looked it up on Geo Warehouse or I looked and you start telling me and then they start getting in their head. Oh, wow, <laughs> this guy did his research. He knows yeah. he knows the price range. Uh, and, and, and I try and do it in a non-evasive way. I would say, yeah, so I was wondering if that one sold for six fifty and it only had four beds and mine's got five, like what what do you think mine would be worth? Like mm-hmm. ballpark. I know you I know you haven't done your research yet. And then they they uh, start thinking in terms of the price ballpark that I think in. Uh, and you know, you kind of just steer the ship a little bit uh, towards where you're thinking. But if you never had that conversation, maybe they saw a couple of, of uh, comparables that weren't really comparable in the three hundred or four hundred range. Yeah. And it, you could have hundreds of thousands of difference just by not having a conversation. Especially in the student rental game, especially in this game, because it's so income driven in terms of what an investor will pay, but the bank is still doing it under regular home residential financing. uh, Unless yeah, I think a good exit strategy for me is to likely convert these, uh, or you know, it's possible to simply uh, change them from a student rental and uh, take down some drywall into a fantastic looking single family home and I'd likely get a higher appraisal. Really? Oh, that's amazing. I I think so. Uh, because you, you're changing it to a form that's more, uh, familiar to the appraiser's eye. You can likely make some small changes that, that improve the property versus having them go through, uh, some, some dirty rooms, uh, cause, cause they'll, they'll need to do it. Right. So I, I'm just yeah. thinking, uh, from, 
the perspective of what they're they're normally seeing. Uh, you don't want to leave any bad taste in their mouth with uh, tenant belongings um, and any signs that it's uh, um, not other than the fantastic property. It, it really is. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and yeah, even even if you have the appraiser coming, send in a cleaner beforehand. I'm sure the students would appreciate it. You know, yeah. so, something that you can do that's going to help make it look better. Uh, so, something else that I uh, I like to do when I go with the appraiser, and I'm sure you do it too, is tell them all the work you did. Oh, yeah, this furnace, it might look like a regular furnace, but this is the best one you can get. Or, you know, this is yep. the best water heater, paid way more for it. You know, just kind of beef up everything, explain how you put more money in because they're always trying to justify, right? You got to give them ammunition to justify why it's worth more. Um, but what do you think? I mean, I'm just kind of thinking out loud right now in terms of yep. if I were to go to a new area and I wanted to meet some appraisers so I could try and pull this scheme somewhere else. Uh, and I say scheme, you know, I don't, I honestly don't think there's any problem with, with doing it. Uh, it's not, it's not about uh, trying to dupe anyone. It's just about making sure that the person appraising your property knows their stuff. That's the key yep. difference. Yeah. And, I would probably go to, to networking meetups. That would probably be how I would I'd try. hope I'd run into an appraiser or at least run into somebody who, who knew a good appraiser. And then I'd reach out to that appraiser directly, ask him, hey, do you appraise for Solidify? Do you uh, appraise for NAS? I think FNF is the one that CIBC puts it through uh, or FCT. And uh, these are all the different brokering services for anyone who's not familiar with that. These are like brokering services for appraisals. And okay. uh, so if the appraiser works on that system, then, and you know, your broker is using say NAS nationwide appraisal services. You could literally just, just say, Hey, hang on broker. Uh, I know an appraiser that, that appraises on that system. I'm going to give him a call and ask him if he can pick it up. Let me know when you're going to hit submit. And that would be how I would try and do that. To- okay. Cause this is interesting. Now I'm learning mm-hmm. something very important. So you're mm-hmm. saying the process is such that once the broker uh, hits, hits the button, uh, the, all, all appraisers, Appraisers are made aware of an address that needs an appraisal. And, See, this okay. is the part that's not not 100%. I'm not 100% on this because I think every system's a bit different. I'm not right. sure if some are just randomly assigned, but I, I, my experience with FCT, uh, which is the one that CIBC was sending it through, was that it actually went into a pool and it was up to the, the appraiser to pick it up. They could see the available appraisals and pick them up. Okay, um, That might have changed. So this, again, guys, this, you know, this might work today or might've worked yesterday and not even work today. I can't say that for sure, but uh, where there's a will, there's a way. (laughs) There's always a way. Um, You know, the other, I've heard other people um, refusing certain appraisers if they, if they didn't feel that that appraiser um, would have uh, any sort of insight into the values of the neighborhood, especially if you have a very unique type of property. Um, Again, like some of these things can get you into a bit of a hairy situation with the bank, but I've heard of them being done successfully. And uh, I'm sure you're, I'm sure brokers won't like, like me saying that. (laughs) No, but uh, like going back to what I said before, you've got to protect your investment and it, it, it's unfair when you put your hard work dollars to not only buy the place, but improve it and run it like a regular business. Mm -hmm. Um, You do joint ventures as well, right? It's a responsibility to our investors to try to get as much money mm-hmm. on the refinance as possible so that, uh, and that's done through a higher appraisal. Yeah. It's a, it's a big part of keeping them happy too. Um, I don't have any active JVs right now, but it is something I'm certainly open into. Oh, okay. and, and I know in the long term for growth, it's, that's, that's part of it. That's part of the big picture for sure. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my next, my next look and doing some bigger projects uh, as well. So, so you said you've got the four in Peterborough, the one triplex, I believe it was in, uh, was that in uh, Aurelia? Aurelia. Yeah. Yeah. In Aurelia and then uh, a couple in North End St. Catharines. Okay. Yeah. And out of those, which ones are JVs? Uh, I've got two in Peterborough that, that are joint okay. ventures. So I, I'm focusing on yeah. Peterborough and for, focusing on yeah. the, uh, the joint venture work. Yeah. Okay. And you're in Montreal. How long have you been there? I've been here for seven years. I lived in Ottawa for a few years before that. And, but I'm born and raised in Montreal. Yeah. Okay. I've uh, uh, been here pretty much my whole life. And... Um, Montreal's a great city and I, I am not against investing here. It's just, there's been a lot of appreciation the last couple of years. And normally people would say, well, that's great. It makes it tougher for guys who like cash flow like us. Mm-hmm. It makes it tougher, right? Because uh, there, uh, I live in Lachine right now. There's 
a hot spot in Montreal, right? Well, at least it's appreciating highly uh, Verdun. And now like a duplex, there would be $600,000 that you'd collect maybe uh, $2,500 to $3,000 total. I mean, I'm buying places in Peterborough for the low threes and I'm getting 3000 in rent. That's almost 1% that's that I want. It's, it's yeah. close. And yes, it's student rental. And yes, it's more work. Yes, it is. But, um, you know, going back to our... Uh, the importance of cash flow. When I when I look at a property now, I, I say to myself, do, do I want a hundred of these things? Because you want it, you you need it to cash flow. It's like you said, it's okay. Perhaps if you have one property that's even minus a couple hundred dollars a month cash flow, you, you you can grin and bear it for a few years, and you're you're you make an income on the side, and it's appreciating, and it's still a good investment. But now I I only want to buy things that I I want like I say, a 10 or a hundred of, it has to be scalable mm-hmm. or else it, it just doesn't make sense long-term. I don't want to have it for a little bit and then sell it. And then, yeah, I'm not about that. I, I want to hold everything I buy and refinance and grow. Love the way you put that. Do I want to own a hundred of these? That's a, that's a great quote. And that's, again, I think that's something that, that people should, should really take right down. Uh, it's a good way of looking at each investment, because sometimes people think one-off doesn't matter, right? I just want to get my name on something. And I'm not saying I disagree with that early on, but the way you're looking at it right now, I think is the right way uh, because you don't want to just do things haphazardly. You're running a business. Is this the type of product I want to own? Um, yeah. Okay. What are you doing in Montreal? Like, what do you do for work? So I'm in software sales, a company called Poca. Yeah, I basically support uh, manufacturers in the in the food and cosmetics industry, help their okay. machines run optimally, and uh, it's a, basically a strong communication tool for manufacturers. Okay. Yeah. Nice. And are you working yeah. from home these days? Oh yeah, big time. Yeah. And, uh, I'm okay with it. Um, you know, I've got enough space. I live right by the water. I. I run, I'm able to get everything I need. I, I miss hockey. I miss my friends. I miss hockey and I miss, um, the gym. Yeah. I miss and that my too. family. That's about it. <laughs> but I've adapted. Well, I'm okay. Yeah. yeah. I was, uh, I've been missing squash. I used to play squash every week, a couple oh, times yeah. a week and just, it's just not that fun. Not, uh, not playing, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully we get back to normal soon. Uh, so since the, you know, this is very on point for a uh, student game, cause I'm thinking about it too. For me, yeah. I feel like it's not a problem as long as this is done by September. And, uh, I'm wondering where your head's at with it. Yeah, I, I agree. I believe, uh, it's kind of like 50, 50, whether classes will resume by then. I guess I got to throw the question right back at you. If, if let's say they only do online courses at all these schools, let's just mm-hmm. say that that's what happens. Well, the students need to live somewhere. So it's not as though they just vacate and, and leave. They're not going to all want to live with their parents. Like they, they still need somewhere to live. So how do you see that? Dis- do you see a displacement? I mean, I really don't know. I don't, I don't see it happening. Well, my, my concern would be if they're doing online courses to the point where they're, they're basically told you don't need to be at school and uh, then they don't come back at all. In which case I would allow their leases to run out, which go till next April. And um, at that point, I would have a bunch of vacant properties uh, minus the one that actually goes one more year, which would, you know, that's nice. Um, So, you know, at that point it'd be, you know, plan B families, um, Airbnb, if that's back by then, um, you know, things like that, uh, trying to make the best out of the situation, however, which way I can. Um, but it's, I mean, if, if that were the problem, if it really did go that long, uh, then we've got a much, much bigger problem than what type of tenant I'm going to replace my existing tenant with. Um, you know, I, 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 the reason I said it's not really a problem unless if it's spun by September, really September, October is because that's when I start re-renting for the following May. And, yeah. uh, and I don't know what your rent cycle is like up there when, when your uh, property manager starts advertising, but it's very early at Western, very early, like as early as it possibly could oh, be. I've heard. Yeah. yeah. Like you have people who just showed up and in September, they're already putting up, putting together their group to find a place right. for, for the following May. Uh, it's, it's insane to me. Like so when you, I was you in first year, I didn't. vacancies, do you? I, mean, I have no vacancies. Right. Yeah. Right now, everything's rented. Um, this yeah. hasn't affect, affected me at all from a cash flow standpoint. Um, okay. you know, everything's just fine. It's really just a preparedness for what might happen. And, um, for me, like 
I'm kind of, you know, blessed and cursed with being a big picture thinker. And, um, you know, I'm not just thinking about myself I'm thinking about Canada and, and this is, you know, just all kinds of not good. And I just want to see society resume. And, uh, and I don't know what you're seeing up there. Is it roughly the same in, in uh, Quebec or is there any sort of sign of, of things turning around and, and getting back to work? They're reopening uh, elementary schools, I believe, uh, this week or next week. And uh, that's about it. I hear a lot of positive news, but I don't hear, I, I don't think any, anything has really transpired yet. But mm-hmm. we're, we're very protective as well. We're not, you know, social, social isolation is strongly felt throughout the province and it's, it's taken very seriously. So um, I, I don't know. And it's, and it's very tough um, to, to really call the shots and understand what every, everyone seems to like to talk about it, like, like mm-hmm. what's going to happen and by when, and, and if they um, release everyone in business back to usual, the second wave. And uh, I already speculate enough in everything else in my life. It's something I don't want to speculate on. Yeah. Speculation. I, I have people ask me what's going to happen to the market. Well, I mean, that depends on a lot of people's decisions. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it's not just the market. It's, it's, uh, yeah. it's a lot of things. So yeah, it's, I guess it's what I, uh, also with, um, you know, seeing other people really struggle in other lines of business. The one thing that, that I have learned throughout this, despite, you know, um, some, uh, rent collecting challenges in, in, mm-hmm. in a couple of properties, which is just, is just natural is that, you know, no matter what, people need a place to live. You can't, we mm-hmm. can't be uh, displaced by an app. Um, even if our students go live somewhere else uh, because they're able to take online classes, they're, they're going to take up space and either pay rent or, they, they, you know, it, 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 the need never ends. Mm-hmm. So um, I did actually have that proactive conversation with my property manager last month saying, look, are, are you, do you see foresee an exodus or students talking about leaving or are they actually just, you know, doing the midnight leave or they don't have to just leave during the day and just go back home. Are they doing that? Are they bailing out? And, and they're not. Um, but I did have the conversation with them to say, Hey, look, you know, if you do sense this coming, let's just um, align ourselves to turn the one or, or, or two places into a, a single family rental and, uh, there are high rates in Peterborough. I believe my places would would go for, you know, twenty two to twenty four hundred per month, uh, and they're gonna the, the uh, tenants would take care of all the utilities mm-hmm. and not much turnover. So it's roughly I'll, I'll equal. Be, I'll be okay either way. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. That's hey, that's why I got into real estate in the first place. It, to me, it was you know you can you can invest in paper and, and the stock market and what have you, but but this is something tangible and real. And it's you know what, no matter what happens in the market, you can still go out there and put your hand on it. It's still real. It's still there, and yeah. uh, you know it's it's not going to go bankrupt or go disappear. It's it's still going to be there. So that's the thing that I really like about uh, real estate and always have, and why I went down this path. So uh, this is just one of those most extreme situations that we never could have ever uh, envisioned. Uh, I guess so. Who knows what will happen, but I'm praying, I'm praying we find some resolve and, and kind of get, get the ball rolling back to normality and, uh, and go yeah. from there. So what's, uh, what's next for you? Like, are, are you doing some burrs? You did mention that you were trying to do some burrs, but your renovations are, are a little bit more uh, modest. Like you're, you said about 10K or... Yeah. Or are you thinking now yeah. it's the time to do the second suites or, or what have you? Well, now with the focus on JVs and getting them their money back as fast as possible, I'm looking for looking for the lift, right? So I'm more mm-hmm. focused on private deals, buying below market, um, adding enough lift by uh, doing the easier stuff uh, in terms of, like I spoke of the tired looking places that uh, mm-hmm. with new flooring, uh, new paint, uh, new fixtures, cabinetry uh, will provide a significant lift. And then, uh, yeah, bring it to um, refinance and return my uh, my money partner's equity, so that we can go out and get the next one. Okay. Yeah. And is so it at all- the beginning, I was more focused on just buying something for as least as possible, and then putting in as least as possible to make it into a student rental for myself. My uh, my my goals have changed now because I, I want I have more confidence in in larger scale renovations, nothing crazy, but enough to create that lift and, and, um, turn it over after a year. 
are you okay doing some plumbing alterations, uh, electrical? I know you don't do the work, obviously. Yeah. You're probably hiring. Um, yeah, any... one of the one of the deals I, I had to do uh, ten thousand dollars worth of uh, electric. The and um, there was okay. some plumbing as well. And um, you you just grow and learn as you go along, right? It's, yeah, it's best to take one sort of small step at a time instead of taking on a monster seventy thousand dollar gut job. I haven't done anything like that yet. Yeah. Well, it's, it's amazing that you've been able to do it all from a distance. Like that's, that's something I don't think I've seen anybody who's done the whole thing from a distance. Like you really started from a distance and you're still at a distance and how long and I'm going to, I'm going to stay at a distance. Yeah. I'm staying here. Montreal's a great place. Eight years of, of doing it. So that's, that's uh yeah. that's a really cool story. So obviously you've got your systems. Um, what are you doing? Like, how often are you getting down? What are some of the things that you're doing now to keep your team robust, to keep your contacts, uh, you know, very diverse? What are some of the things you yeah. do to maintain that, your network? So come down every four to six weeks pre-COVID and now less so, but uh, I'm, I'm just on the phone a lot. You know, I, I call up all, all my contacts uh, every week or two just to see how things are going, what's new, any issues, uh, any trends they see. Uh, I actually started up a, a WhatsApp group for about 30 people. And I did that because for selfish reasons to uh, basically just put my finger on the pulse of what's going on in Peterborough, especially in the student rental world. Best practice. Who are the best contractors? Who are the best property managers? Who's the best this, the, the, the that? And we refer. We refer, refer. We're all uh, mainly student rental investors on this, uh, on this chat group. And I got a lot of my info from there. So um, I don't need to be in Peterborough every week to, to understand what's going on. That right there really sums it up. That the power of the network. Yeah, you're so well connected, even if you're not there to have to have all those contacts. Are so that's so valuable. Um, so, what would if you? Any of your listeners, by the way, want to be is considering in, investing in Peter, but wants to be added to the group, they can definitely uh, reach out to me. No, no problem. Sure. The more, the merrier. Yeah, yeah. What would you recommend for for a person trying to get started in uh, a new area? That's you know, even if they're experienced, they're going to a new area. How how do they build their network like you have? Go to the right meetup. Go to the right meetup. Go oh, the right club. R E I T meetup. Uh, yeah, I, I would. I would start by. Uh, I guess the first call would be to a um, a broker who invests in real estate themselves locally. That's real the estate broker. Place. Yeah. To, well, to okay. to start with, no. But they the real estate broker needs to be an investor in that market themselves. They need to own property there. Yeah. And then they're, they're going to know investors that you can network with. Is that the idea? Exactly. They can branch out from there because it all seemed to sort of start with my one agent, uh, Rob Brake in Peterborough, and then it, it branched out from there in terms of all my contacts. So mm-hmm. maybe uh, that's a, resi- a bit okay. of a results oriented answer. But the truth is, I think that's the great place to start because they also have to answer similar questions to other investors and they need the same contacts that you need. So yeah. let's make it easy, right? Let's help each other out. We're not competing here. Yeah, that's that's amazing advice, and and I, I definitely agree. And that's a way to really shorten the time it takes to be successful in a market by learning from all the other people's mistakes and learning the best practices at the same time. I didn't have that in 2012 when I when I bought the two condos, or I wasn't looking for it. Uh, mm-hmm. But the point is, I think that a lot of investors that go to these these meetups or take the, the first uh, couple steps the first couple of critical steps of meeting the right contacts, they, they've got a real advantage a real advantage. Cause if not, you, yeah. you know, you don't, you don't know what you don't know. And if you think you're doing it right, and then you, all of a sudden you find out someone, you know, with the same resources, the same intelligent, the same network as you is doing way better. You'll, you'll be scratching your head saying, well, okay, well, I'm going to follow what this guy's doing. And yeah. um, it starts to make more sense. So yeah, it's yeah. all about the contacts at the beginning. It works really well to check your... People who know more than you. Yeah, check the ego. Check the ego and just admit like, holy, well, that that person's killing it. What do they know? I want to know that. Yeah, Yeah, that's that's, uh, great advice. Um, Okay, Jared, if people wanted to follow along, see what you're up to or get in contact with you, where should we send them? Yeah, I've become more uh, active on Instagram. So Jared H55, come check out what I'm doing. I post my projects and 
my daily lifestyle. And um, that's the best way to get a hold of me. I guess I'll also leave my, my email in the show notes if people want to reach out that way. Okay. And uh, Jared, any, any parting wisdom that you'd like to uh, leave our listeners and viewers with before we, uh, we wrap up? Oh, boy, you're putting me on the spot. <laughs> you know what? Ca- cash flow first. This COVID issue is going to end some point. So don't, don't lose hope in terms of uh, uh, things coming around, they'll, they'll always, um, things will improve. And um, don't, don't let that stop your hustle. I think a lot of people uh, out there are sort of discouraged, whether, I mean, I'm talking about outside the real estate investing world, uh, they, they don't know where to turn. I, I use this time as an opportunity to, to find out what, um, what other opportunities there are and, and, that present themselves and try to stay positive until this turns around. It's not easy. Yeah. Well, you know, the whole idea of taking action, right? People can still take action. It doesn't necessarily mean you're buying a property right now, but you could still be learning. You can still be making contacts. You can still be building your network. There's, there's so many things people can do right now so that when, when we come out of this or when the opportunity reveals itself, we're ready. That's right. Yeah. Well, it was really, uh, really nice talking to you, Jared. Uh, really, uh, really appreciated getting to know your story. So uh, thank you so much for doing this. And uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's try and stay in connected. I don't know. We, we need to find a platform. I don't know if WhatsApp's the best one to do it, but uh, I'd love to have uh, more of a kind of Ontario wide and actually even yeah. to Montreal now uh, kind of uh, group that we can all, we can all communicate on. So anywho, Absolutely. well, thanks for yeah, having me. We'll stay in touch. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Okay. Take care. Thanks for watching today's episode. Just a friendly reminder to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure that you smash the like and subscribe and notification bell. Uh, And also leave a comment. And hey, while you're at it, why not share this episode with somebody you think it could help? It helps this podcast grow and I would really appreciate it. Thanks again. We'll see you on the next episode.